Let's pray together. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. You are majestic, O God. You are beyond all of our thoughts and comprehension. You are bigger and wiser and stronger. God, there is no thing that is impossible or too great for you to do. No thing. Father, we come before you humbly, confessing that we are sinful, that we have fallen, and that we need redemption at the cross. Lord, open our eyes this morning to the beauty of Jesus Christ the Lord, to the beauty of the plan that for thousands of years was forming and working. And Lord, thank you for the the advent, the coming of your Son to show us perfect righteousness. And Father, thank you for your spirit who is here today among us and in us to show us who you are. Open our eyes, Lord, we ask. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The timeless game of hide and seek is one that I have um, played many, many a time with my children growing up. And it started, as you can probably remember, maybe in your days, where you'd have to hide not so hard because uh, there's no way that the two-year-old could find you. And so you'd hide behind the curtain and make sure your feet were sticking out. I'm, I'm letting some of my tricks go, guys. I know, I know. This is, uh, might, be, might be tough for you, but I didn't always hide as hard as I could because sometimes I wanted you to find me. Well, then you got a little older, and, and I would not stick my feet out because that would make it too easy. And there needed to be at least a challenge. Well, as we continued through life, there, there came a day when I realized I wasn't the best hider in my house. There was a day that I had to forfeit and say, I cannot find you. In fact, there have been many days like that. We were in Alabama a couple of years ago at Brad and Amy's house, and I spent 45 minutes looking for Nate and had to give up. It was quite humiliating, but the game of hide-and-seek is one that, that we've, we're all familiar with and we all love. There is a, a seeking that takes place, and if you are hidden, you don't want that seeker to find you, but as a seeker... Your job is to find that person and to know that they know where you are. In the Bible this morning, we're going to look at at the ways in which God is is two things. So if you want to take a note or jot it down or just make a mental note of this, this morning we look at God as a God who seeks And then God is a God who speaks. That rhymes, but we see both of those in our passage and our reading today. And I'd like to break both of those down and give you some some big theme ideas through the rest of the Bible. These themes that are beginning in in an embryonic stage, if you will, in the book of Genesis. 
There's a God who seeks and a God who speaks. Now, this year is uh, a year for us to read through the Bible, uh, to know the word and to share the word. And that is our theme this year is to really learn the Bible uh, even better than we know it now. And so we're going to be talking about some of those things. But our, our ultimate theme of the Bible then is this. There is creation. There is fall. There is redemption and God redeeming his people. And then there is the kingdom in which we live in. And we have a graphic. I don't know if you've got it up there, Tristan, or not. But creation, a fall. There is redemption. And then there is the kingdom in which Christ has created and called for us to live in. With that in mind, as we walk through the scripture together, we're going to see the redemption phase start. A couple of weeks ago, we saw creation in the fall. Now we're going to be looking through this redemption phase as it begins to to really uh, get some some grit and grip and moving throughout history. So let me catch you up. If you if you haven't been reading through what we've been reading through in the scripture. First, we saw that that God created all things and he did it with. Uh, with skill and with majesty and all things were created and God put man in a garden for fellowship and he instituted this this covenant with man that that as they would be if they would be obedient to him and trust in him then they would have constant fellowship with him but as we know man fell in in chapter what chapter church in chapter 3 man fell and 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 did not trust God as he called them to do and fell aside and, and was banished from fellowship with God. And that the picture of the, the cherubim guarding the garden or the flaming sword was there guarding and keeping people out of the garden. That fellowship was broken. And then not only was it broken, but it became worse and worse and worse. And wickedness became rampant in, in all of the earth. And by the time we get to the sixth chapter, which is... The bad news chapter of the Bible, Genesis 6, is twice as bad as chapter 3 in some ways. Uh, the flood comes and, and the, God tells Noah to build an ark and, and God is going to destroy all of the wickedness all over the earth. And then God makes another covenant and says, after this, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again. And we looked at some of these covenants a few weeks ago. Well, uh, after a new beginning with Noah, we began to see sin again be, began to be a problem. It, sin wasn't uh, eradicated. The, there was no solution. There were still problems and people continued to sin. In fact, to ignore what God had told them to do, which was to, to spread out and to, to proclaim the goodness of God. People began to gather together. By Genesis 11, they built this city. What was the name of the city? Babel, and they build this tower in, in the city of Babel, and they begin to gather rather than to scatter. And they say, we'll build it all the way up to heaven. There, there's no stopping us. And God comes down, and he scatters those people, and he confuses them. But sin still doesn't have a solution. And then we get into, we went to Job, and now we're back to Genesis 12. And this is where there's no solution for sin. But the solution is going to begin to begin. 
The solution for sin is going to begin here in chapter 12 as we see God seeking someone to be a blessing. And ultimately, that blessing is to restore what happened in Genesis 3 at the fall. God is seeking to restore or redeem. Redemption is that that idea we're thinking about, that, that God is redeeming the relationship between God and man to what it is supposed to be once again. And God is seeking to do that, and he begins with a man named what? Abram in chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we'll begin right there. God seeks a man to begin a new covenant with that he's going to bring redemption through. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, so that you will be a, what church? A blessing. God is seeking someone to bring the blessing through, and he chooses Abram. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be what? Will be blessed. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get everything they want. That's not the intention of God's blessing here to Abram. But it is that every family of the world, every nation, every people group, every family of the nation is going to receive a blessing through Abram. So this is a a massive promise that God has sought Abram out. God is seeking a solution to a problem. In fact, he's already got a solution. He's seeking to implement that solution. God has a plan, and he's going to seek out and choose someone to execute it through, and so he chooses Abram. Now, now here's the tension in the Bible that we see. God is a God who makes decisions, who has plans, and who does what he wants. Can we agree on that? Right? That's that's who God is. That's what he did in Abram's life. But God also expects people to be a part of that and to make their own decisions to be a part of that. And so what we're seeing here now is God is calling Abram and Abram has to respond to God's work. And so there's this tension going on of God is executing his plan, but, but he's choosing agents to be a part of that plan. And the agents are responding. So we get to chapter 15, and the story continues. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir, not my child. One of my servants will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So here's Abram wondering about this plan that God is working. And Abram's sad because his plan is, I want want a big family. And you told me I'd be a blessing and, and I... the. I would be able to bless people, but I don't have anybody to bless them with. I'm childless. 
Well, this man shall not be your, your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Oh, what a humbling moment for Abram. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Now, the interesting thing here is, is Abram is seeing, oh man, I'm going to have lots of children. Lots and lots of children. Which he will down the road, if you read, he has five children, I think, or maybe even more. But that's not what God was talking about. He was talking about the descendants who would believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so, I don't know if y'all are aware, there's a comet that's now floating, flying through our atmosphere. Y'all familiar with that? It's a green comet. You can go out at night, get binoculars, and supposedly find it. So if you do that, it's been raining the last couple of nights, but it's supposed to be around for a few more days, weeks. You can go outside. I want you to look up, and when you get a telescope, binoculars, something like that, look up. And you try to count the vastness of, of, of what's up there. Now remember, Abram's out in the country here. He doesn't have street lights. He can see lots and lots of stars. It is a vastness. What God was alluding to, what the Lord was alluding to, is, as defined in, in Galatians for us later, is that all who believe in Jesus Christ are the descendants of Abraham because they believe like Abram believe. So let's look at this. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. And this is the first time we're seeing someone with faith counted to them as a righteous state and they can be made then right with God. And so here are the beginnings of this salvation by faith idea that we believe and treasure today. So here's the question for you. Do you believe? We sang a song this morning about promises that were given way back when. But that we from the other side are able to look back and see that the hope of the ages has come. His name is Jesus. Whereas Abraham or Abram, he's looking forward and being like, I don't understand what's going on, but I believe you, God. Whatever it is, I believe you. We're in a a completely different perspective. So here's the question. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus fulfilled all this? And do you believe enough to be willing to forfeit all the pleasures that this world can afford you in order to give your life to be in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of this world? That's the question. That is the question. Will you forfeit the kingdom of this world for the kingdom of heaven. Let's continue. Y'all still with me? All right, chapter 17. You got 12, 15, and now 17. We got more of Abram and the covenant. Verse 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord seeking him again, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So do the right thing, Abram. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, your name be called Abram, 
but your name shall be Abraham, which is father of nations. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God and to be and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, which he did. We see it Joshua, God saying he gave it to them. They lived in it. And all of the land you shall keep. All of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Watch this. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And we talked about this. This was the sign of the covenant. Something they had to do to prove that they were believing God and they were going to be part of this. All right. Here's your test. Christian, what is the sign Circumcision is not the sign of our covenant. That was the Abrahamic covenant. What is the sign of our belief and following of Jesus Christ the Lord in the new covenant? What is the sign? It is the Lord's table. When we regularly come once a month, we celebrate the Lord's table here. And we come and we say, Lord, I'm still committed to you. That's our wedding ring. That's the sign of our covenant. Is, Lord, I'm committing to you and I'm regularly doing this. All right. Let's go down. Uh, I want to make a little bit more progress. And get to the second half. God is a God who seeks. Here's the thing to, to remember from this first part. God did not leave man banished from the garden. God did not leave man in a state of, of disconnect. God sought out a man named Abram, and he began to work his covenant through Abram. And ultimately, God sought and executed the plan to get Jesus Christ for salvation for us. Now, this may not be a very big deal to some, but to everyone who recognizes the sin in our, in, in our hearts. And I can tell you my story. When I was in seventh grade, I was at church camp. And I wasn't really going for any kind of experience. I was just going because my sister went to camp and, and I, I heard a lot of fun things. So I went to camp. But at camp, I, I saw the holiness of God and that God was righteous and I was not. And I began to realize that, that before God, I, I had problems. I was separated from God. I didn't know him. I didn't want to know him. And then I noticed that my life, I, I did whatever I wanted, whatever I thought would make me happy. And, it, and, and someone came, a faithful man named Tears Green, he came and he preached the gospel. And he said, you can be right with God through Jesus Christ. If you'll repent of your sinful ways and your self-exalting and you'll come and follow me, then I will forgive you and make you a part of a new kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And I, I humbled myself. I said, I... I know that if I don't believe that I will be judged for my sin and I truly was, was afraid of God's judgment in a place called hell. So I confessed my sin that night and turned my life to the Lord and said, Lord, I want salvation. And I believed 
And I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I turned my life around at that day. And my heart was then towards Him. And that is where I am today. God sought me out just as He sought Abram out. And Christian, God sought you out just as He sought Abram out. I'm eternally grateful for a God who seeks, a God who finds that Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that was me, y'all. God saved my soul. Now, not only does God seek, but the second half is that God speaks. And so let's turn our eyes to a different idea. God is a God who seeks out redemption. For sinners who are lost. Somebody say amen. Amen. Were you not lost Christian? Did God not seek you out? Did he not transform your mind and your heart and your life? And now you know him and love him. Praise the father. Praise the son. Praise the spirit. Now the second part of this is is an interesting one. God not only seeks but God speaks. And we're going to look through a problem. And and this is... A problem that that has puzzled, maybe that's a better word for it. This is a puzzle in the Old Testament. And for many who have read the Old Testament, and for many before even Jesus came, this was a known issue in the the Bible. And and people wondered, okay, what's going on here? And we we read it this week. I don't know if you saw it, but but we read it this week. And and it goes like this. It begins in, in Genesis 18, verse 1 through 3. So let me read this to you, and let me, let me see if you see what the problem, what the problem is. All right? Are y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right. Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, how many? How many? Three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth, and he said... Oh, Lord. Now, this is the word Adonai, but it is the word for God. It's not the word for uh, Lord, meaning like my master. This is the formal protected word Adonai used for God. And Abram recognizes that these three men are something special. So he says, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. Now, let me go down to uh, chapter, uh, verse 32. And then he said, O Lord, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again once. Uh, let Let me give you some context here. He has a meal with these three men. How many men? Three men. And, and he, they, uh, Sarah cooks for him. They, give him the, they tell him the future. You're going to have this child. They laugh. If you remember that, they, they laugh. At the, well, we're going to have a child in my old age? Yeah, right. So they don't, they're not really believing God in this, Abraham and Sarah. And, and then they say, well, we're going to go to, down to Sodom. And, and then Abram begins saying, oh, no, you're going to destroy Sodom? And Gomorrah for their wickedness. And, and Abraham begins to debate or try to, try to, um, try to uh, get God or get these angels to change their mind. And so he says, if there are 50 there, will you not destroy it? If there are 40, if there are 
30 or 20, and he finally gets down to what number? To 10. All right, and that's where we pick it up here. And he says, Oh Lord, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again. Suppose 10 are found there. 10 righteous people are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. All right, verse 33. Watch this. And who? And the Lord, this is capital L-O-R-D. This is Yahweh. And Yahweh went his way. So here it is. Abram's talking to three guys, three men. Bible says. They're telling the future. He knows that there's something special about him. And then it says, and the Lord and Yahweh went his way. And we have finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. And then you get to the next chapter and it says, the what? How many angels? The two. Okay. So this is interesting. If you go back to 18.1, it says the Lord appeared to him. L-O-R-D, Yahweh. Then it says three men were there. Then it says the Lord, Yahweh, L-O-R-D, went his way. And how many were left? Two. Do you see the problem? Was one of these men the Lord? Was one of these men Yahweh? Because the Lord came to him and the Lord left. When the Lord came, there were how many? When the Lord left, there were how many? Okay, this is, this is interesting. Where did one of these men go? Or was it, was it the Lord? And if it was the Lord, why was he called a, a, a man? There's a problem. Let me give you another problem. And I'm giving you a problem here to get to a solution. All right? Genesis 16. Sarai and Hagar. If you remember, Sarai complains to Abram about his maidservant, Hagar. She gets pregnant and she begins to look down on Sarai. You couldn't get pregnant or I don't like you. Whatever it is, there's a a strife between Sarai and Hagar. And so uh, the Lord says, look, Sarah, do whatever you want. Do as you wish. And that picks up in 16 verse 3. But Abraham said to Sarai, go, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And then look here, verse 7. The angel of the Lord. Chapter 16, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said to her, the angel of the Lord said to her, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return from your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord, and now this word, the angel of the Lord, for the third time, also said to her, and I know y'all don't see it, but he says, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered. Now that is verse 10 of Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord says, I will multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered. The angel of the Lord, does he multiply offspring? Do angels multiply offspring or give birth? There it is. The angel of the Lord said this. Then we go to verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. So here then Sarah comes back and says, As the angel of the Lord spoke to her, Sarah comes back and says, you are a God of seeing. 
What's going on here? Is this the, an angel or is it God? You see the problem? Let me give you another one. Abraham builds an altar. Genesis 22, verse 9 through 12. Abraham's are committed. And 22 is, is when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the promised son. Y'all remember this? Go called Mount Moriah. This points to Jesus. It points to Jesus being sacrificed. Let me give you one more. When they came to the place where God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order to and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. Y'all remember this story? Verse 11. But who? The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Which would sound about right, right? So the angel of the Lord, if he's an angel, he's saying, now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from, what's it say? Me. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? There's a, you fear God, like I'm not God, but then you haven't withheld your son from me, like he is God. And even in the same sentence, we see the angel of the Lord speaking to Abraham or Abram. Uh, there are, look, Moses at the burning bush, it's the same thing. Uh, if you look in Exodus chapter 3, you see Moses in the burning bush. It says the angel of the Lord called out from the bush. And, and then it says, I am the God. So I'm not going to give you all of these. You can look in Numbers, you can look in Judges, 1 Chronicles, Zechariah, and Book of Acts, and Stephen's Sermon. You have lots of, the angel of the Lord said this, and he's, he looks like God, but he's not God. But he talks like God, but he's not, and, and it's, a, it's a conundrum. And people for thousands of years have wondered, okay, what's going on with the angel of the Lord? What is this thing? Why, why is it in here? And I want to give you a solution. The angel of the Lord is not just an angel. I think you've probably figured that out by now. Now, now the word for angel in Hebrew and in Greek that's translating your Bible and my Bible, it is angel, uh, is a couple of different words. It's, it's angelos in Greek, but in, in Hebrew, what we're looking at, it's malach. And that is a word that means, um, that is translated oftentimes as angel. But does anybody know what else it's translated as? It's, it's translated also as messenger. It's translated as messenger. It's not always meaning what we mean the spiritual being of an angel. It, it's a messenger. And, and it's, it, it's hundreds of times in, in the Bible. And, and the translators are picking. Is it, which one is it? Now, why is that important? And I know this is a lot of information. Let me tell you why it's important. Because throughout the Old Testament, what we see is there is a messenger from God who is equal to God. Now be careful. Be careful. Because this is, this is really powerful stuff. Throughout the scripture there is a messenger. Now oftentimes it calls it angel. 
You see it many times in the Old Testament as the angel of Yahweh. And when it says the angel of the Lord, that's the messenger of Yahweh. That's literally what it says. When we get to the New Testament, what we get is the fulfillment of the messenger of Yahweh. How many of y'all remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that, that the Word became what? The Word became flesh, and He what? He dwelt among us. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. That God came, or that someone came, a messenger to bring us grace and truth, all John 1, y'all, all came to us and brought to us the message of God. John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31, Jesus comes and Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. And the Jews pick up stones to stone him. God is a God who seeks. He's a God who seeks out to bring redemption to all who will believe upon him. God is a God who speaks, and he speaks through his messenger. And y'all, all through the Old Testament, we have the message coming. God seeks, and then God speaks. God seeks, and then God speaks. And we get to John 1.1. We get to the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the ultimate expression of God seeking out a people to seek and save the lost and speaking to them through his son, Jesus Christ. One who was God and one who spoke with every authority that God had. One who could forgive sins because he had authority to do so. Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one. And Jesus came and he authoritatively did these things. He spoke with authority that, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did not have. But he was distinct from God, the Father. This figure and that we have read this week gives us a category, if you will, to see that God is not just one thing, but he is God the Father. Praise the Father. He is God the Son. Praise the Son. That he is God the Spirit, three in one. And even reading in the Old Testament, we see that God's messenger, could it be, and I believe, that this angel of the Lord is the manifestation of God, Yahweh, in Christ Jesus throughout the Old Testament. It is God speaking on behalf of the Father, Yahweh, with all the authority and credibility that God has as his son. So what does that mean for us today? Let me read one more passage to you, and then I'm going to give you an application of this. What does this mean? John 14, Jesus says to Philip, Have you seen me, been with me so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. Does his work. In other words, I am the messenger of Yahweh. Beautiful, y'all. Beautiful. What does this mean for us today? 
What does this mean for us today? Here's what it means. 2,000 years ago, the messenger of God came in Jesus Christ. He came to proclaim the truth. He shared with Pilate, as we play out in our passion play, what is true. And he said, my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. Jesus is the messenger of God for bringing redemption to all who would believe in him. 2,000 years later, we stand here and church, we are a church proclaiming that same message. Jesus is no longer walking with us. Jesus is no longer walking among us in the flesh. But he has sent his spirit to empower us to be flesh and bones in the kingdom and to proclaim redemption to all around us. So church, I want to give, you, give this, this important thought to each one of us. God is still seeking to save the lost. God is still seeking out those to redeem and to bring into his graces. God is still using willing participants like you and like me as a part of his plan to speak to everyone. And you and I have to be part of that plan as in his kingdom. God is a God who seeks. He's seeking and speaking through us. And church, we are that vehicle. So what is the application? Um, church, I want to encourage us this year, as our theme is to know the Bible and to share the Bible. I want to encourage you to think of someone in your life that that needs to hear the message of Scripture and make conscious efforts to, to share with them what the truth of God, God's Word is. And that might be inviting them to passion play, which will be in a bit. Or maybe involving them to be a part of passion play. Or maybe that's inviting them to your Sunday school class that meets every week. Or maybe that's saying, hey, uh, maybe giving them a call once a week, every other week, and say, hey, I want to share with you what we, what we studied at church or what I've been studying in my Bible. Maybe it's adopting somebody that, that's not coming to church lately and saying, I'm, I'm going to reach out to this person and, and be the, the hands and feet, the flesh of the Spirit of God to them during this season. Maybe it's somebody you know, going through a Job situation. Somebody's going through a tough time. And you need to speak wisdom or truth or scripture to help them, to get them through that time. God is a God who seeks. He doesn't remain silent. He doesn't hide himself. God is the seeker, not the hider. God speaks through his son, as Hebrews 1.1 tells us. He has spoken to us by his son. And church, we are the means by which that is taking place. Will you be a part of seeking and speaking on behalf of God? He is called into covenant those who will be part of his kingdom. And the kingdom is a working kingdom. Will we be part of that? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we know that you are a God who seeks, a God who speaks, a God who saves, a God who redeems. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who saved us from our sin. 
And we ask, oh God, that your spirit fill us, empower us, and enable us to do the work you've called us to do. Lord, let us do that work tonight at church. Let us do that work Wednesday night in our ministry groups. May we do that work in passion play preparation. God, may we do that work in prayer and in, in Bible study teaching preparation. God, may we do that work in however you've called us or fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come to our time of response. If you would like to respond in whatever way to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to repent of your sin. If you know that you were under God's wrath but need salvation, now would be a good time to confess to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Allow me into your kingdom. I believe that you're the son of God and he will. Whoever whoever comes to him, he will never cast anyone out. Come to the Lord Jesus today. Maybe you need to be a part of a working part of the kingdom, a laborer. Maybe you've depended way too much on, on the pastor or the deacon or the teacher to do the work. And you need to be a part of that team. Come and be a part of the ministry. Maybe you're waiting for somebody else. Now's the time to come and be a part. However you need to respond, uh, this is a time for you to go to the Lord. Uh, We're going to sing a song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. I invite you to stand if you're able. While we sing, you pray, you respond, and you honor God uh, with your worship. Let's stand together if you're able.